got one from a lady who's supposed to be from a uh, Aboriginal lady from community and uh, asking to be my friend. And it seems like the how she was talking is not like how our people talk. Mm. It is talking like Wallabala talk, white men's talk, and saying, hey, mate, you know, like, <laughs> we don't call each other like that, asking to be friends. Mm. You've just been a lucky winner for $80,000 or something. All you have to do is send me $656 and I'll register and send the money over and put into your account. That's Pamela. She's pretty switched on, even though she's new to Facebook. She asked the person if they were trying to scam her. And, you know, I was just feeling a bit like I'm taken in. So I started asking the questions. Um, Are you sure you're not, this is the scam? He said, no, I'm your mate, you know. (laughs) Kept on referring to us being my mate and a picture of this lady, Aboriginal lady. And, like, using her profile, her picture, but not her language talking. And so I said, I don't really want to go through with this. It's making me not feel good. And he's still asking, hey, mate, you know, keep asking, hey, mate. So I was trying to see if I can try and get, get it deleted or something. Did, did, did that, you know, no, I don't know how to delete, yeah, yeah. delete friend or yeah. Yeah. I'm only new on Facebook. Welcome to Disconnect, a podcast about the internet in remote Aboriginal communities. My name's Tyson Yagaporta. I belong to the Arpledge clan from Western Cape York. My name is Ellie Rennie. I research how people use the internet. And I'm Indigo Holcomb James. Indigo and I met with a group called the Indigimob Mentors in Darwin in 2018. Pamela, who we heard from at the start of this episode, was at that meeting. The Indigimob program is a partnership between First Nations Media Australia and Telstra. Indigimob Mentors are employed in remote Aboriginal communities to help other community members with digital activities like setting strong passwords and adjusting social media privacy settings. During that conversation, Pamela's story struck a chord with some others about scams they'd experienced. It's happened in every community I've lived in. I had a brother boy telling me he's got a good chance of winning a million dollars if he just put it, gave his bank details. It took a while to let him know that's probably not going to happen. That's Percy Bishop, the coordinator at Groot Broadcasting and station manager at Umbacumba on Groot Island in East Arnhem. Percy's also an Indigimob mentor. Very clever what Sister Girl was saying there. A photo of his family member with the son was sent to say, I did it too, cuz. And uh, he couldn't get hold of him. This is three weeks ago. He's a very clue to a young elder. And it took me a long time to convince him it's not true, bro. It sounds like mostly it's the same kinds of scams um, that are happening to everybody else, you know, particularly elderly working class people. But it's interesting that a couple of these ones seem to have been, there are attempts to kind of tailor it uh, to the Indigenous community. Maybe it's a bot. I don't think it's a bot. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's when we'll know singularities happen when bots have, like, you know, the ability to um, 
talk like a black fellow. We know that we've, you've achieved some sophistication there. <laughs> Human level intelligence happening. That's right. Other types of scams were reported by PY Media in the APY lands. PY Media is an Aboriginal media organisation serving the Anangu, Pitinjara, Yankunjara lands in northern South Australia. This is in Pitinjara, interpreted by PY Media's Tom Holder. Yeah, a lot of Aboriginal people have fallen for it when they've been contacted by white people running scams on Facebook. Some people have spent large amounts of money sending it to those people, but they never delivered what they promised. They were running scams and they were stealing people's money. Scammers have been successfully ripping off some of our family members out here. You know, some of them have only just become aware that there are these sorts of things out there and they've been totally falling for it. They were being told, you've won a huge amount of money. What do you reckon? Send me some money, then we can start to transfer your winnings to you. And some people were totally believing it and were going around raising the cash from other family members to send it away. Other people know about it and tell people when they're being tricked, don't fall for it, they're tricking you. Test this, make sure, yep, it's all working fine. I spoke to Delia Rickard. Delia Rickard. Deputy Director of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. And we are in your Canberra offices, which is very exciting. (laughs) Not so much for me, but I'm glad it is for you. The ACCC is a government body that looks out for consumers, including keeping a watch on scams and how much people are losing. They have a website where people report scams, scamwatch.gov.au. And we also work at disrupting scams. Most scammers are based overseas and it's not been our jurisdiction or role to, to be off there trying to catch them. And if you do catch one, there's another hundred waiting to take their place. But we've been doing a lot of work with financial institution, banks, money remitters to get them better identifying when money might be going to scammers so they can pause the transaction, have the conversation, determine if it's legitimate or if it's a scam and then hopefully help the consumer decide not to make that payment. And we're also trying to work with Google and Facebook to encourage them to do more to stop scammers reaching consumers in the first place. We also have a specific Indigenous helpline where Indigenous people can report scams through there as well. In 2018, Australians lost $100 million to scams, as reported to the ACCC. When we combine those losses with figures that are reported to the police, my guess is we will be up around half a billion, 500 million in terms of losses to scams. And the losses that we have reported to us are only ever a small percentage. My Somewhat educated guess would be somewhere between 5 and 10%. So between January and I think at the end of September this year, we had nearly 3 million in losses reported to us from Indigenous consumers, and that was from around 1,800 complaints. If Delia is correct about underreporting, then Indigenous Australians are losing tens of millions of dollars to scammers every year. In 2017, the ACCC reported that Indigenous people who fell victim to scams had lost on average $6,500. The 
losses from Indigenous consumers, um, the sorts of scams they're seeing, tend to be representative of the scams that are being seen by people right across Australia. So the biggest losses we see come from investment scams and romance scams, which are the most heartbreaking of them all. Phishing scams, where people trick you into giving your bank account details and they can then go in and empty them out. Unexpected prize and lottery scams, where you get contacted and told that you've won, you know, 20 million in the Spanish lottery, but then they say you have to pay this fee to get it and that fee to get it and people keep paying and paying until finally they realise that they're never going to see the money they've sent again or the money from the lottery. We also see a lot of identity theft losses and like everybody else, the amount of losses to online shopping just keeps going up. So when you say online shopping, do you mean where you're buying something but it's not a real purchase? It can be a site that imitates a legitimate site so they can do a direct replica or it could be things that pop up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, with attractive prices. So they're not all too good to be true but they do look like a bargain, whether it's for expensive electronic goods or for jewellery, clothing. These are just starting to proliferate. I know I have been done by it as well. And I'm good at recognising scams. I saw a car for sale on Gumtree. There was this crafty guy that had been stealing a lot of money from a lot of people. I saw that car and I called the fella. He told me that he was living on a farm. He said, you transfer the money into my account and I'll pick up the car and hand it over to you. He was in Adelaide, but I thought that the car was in Alice Springs. I called him several times, but he said that he couldn't meet me. He said, you put the money into my account and you can get the car. Well, I made a mistake. I gave him the money, $2,500. After that, I couldn't get in contact with him anymore. He switched off his phone. My money was gone. People who fall victim to romance scams are likely to lose the most money. This is Chloe James one of the Indigimob mentors describing romance scams. Yeah, I guess like someone contacting someone and they've never met this person in person. And uh, yeah, so it's just like say through Facebook and that person who's contacted the person will say like, you know, really nice things, be really charming and kind of give themselves a different identity to, I guess, what they are or what they're offering. And it's it's normally of like, yeah, an intimate nature, um, you know, they really suggest like they want to meet up and that they would move across the country for them and, and these grand gestures of love and, and like emotional support, which is, you know, what a lot of people would, would really take to that and, and think that that's something that really positive that they could have in their life. But it turns out that that's not the case. This person's not who they say they are. That, that reality that they're offering is not ever going to happen. And, you know, in that process they've been hurt and they feel like they've been lied to, they have been lied to. According to the ACCC, women over 40 are the most susceptible to romance scams. We know, for instance, though, with romance scams, which is where a lot of the losses come, women tend to be more susceptible to these. I think probably love's important to everyone, but women at that age, families have often grown up, marriages have dissolved or they're widowed. And, you know, People naturally are looking for companionship and love. Generally, with investment scams, it's more likely to be older men who lose the most money there. And with online shopping, well, I'm not going to say women are more prone to online shopping, but I think on romance scams where a lot of the losses are each year, that would be part of the reason. Mm, that's really sad. 
It is really sad. Yeah. It's the scam that I hate the most because it, it, it causes not just financial devastation but also emotional devastation. We see suicides from it. It's just it's the lowest of the low. You know, that, that love magic stuff. See, romance is a different, um, a different kettle of fish as well. You know, um, What's love magic? So, well, love magic. So I, I guess the popular conception of it is like the Jeddah idea that somebody's like, you know, singing somebody and like spiritually roofing them and, that, and that's, but that's not what it is. So love magic is this whole body of law around romance and, and, and love and sex and, you know, all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of things, you know, that go on there. It's, it's a beautiful thing um, as long as you're going, you, you have to stay in the right kinship sort of marriage system um, for how you do it. But there's a lot that goes on. And a, a lot of it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of secret meetings and, you know, secret looks and, and, and things that go on. So it's it's kind of very private, which is a hard thing to carry off in a really socially dense community. Um, but, yeah, people don't like to talk about their experience. You, you don't share about that. You know, you keep it to yourself, but and particularly if it goes wrong, um, you're not going to want to tell anyone about that. Uh, I guess that's that's what it would feel like online if you you feel like you're having this secret romance that's just yours. You know, that's your one corner of privacy, and you know that's making you feel alive, and then you get smashed. Mm. Yeah, um, mm. you just feel shame from that. What we have to remember is that money's only been in our society for just over three generations. Reports from Indigenous communities of online scams are increasing. But we also know that there are other dodgy practices and products that are causing people in remote communities to lose money. And these have been going on for a long time. In 2018, following a series of scandals involving the banking sector, the Governor-General called for a Royal Commission into misconduct in the banking, superannuation and financial services industry. During the hearings, witnesses gave a number of examples of predatory financial practices. Even though we've just heard that online scams are a recent thing in remote communities, offline scams are nothing new. Uh, Your name is Linda Edwards? Yes, that's correct. And you are the Coordinator Financial Capability at Financial Counselling Australia? Yes. Mrs Edwards, could I ask you too to please describe your cultural background? Yes, I'm a Wonkamara woman from far west New South Wales. And this is part of Linda's evidence to the Royal Commission. We know that it's not under the terms of reference for this commission, but payday lending and consumer leases uh, have a, a huge negative impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I've got so much stuff here. Yeah, it's ridiculous. We met with Linda Edwards to talk about these problems. Last year, you were asked to give evidence during the Royal Commission. Do they say give evidence? Yeah, they do, yeah. So we we put in a submission, obviously, to the Royal Commission about what we were... Linda told us that some people are spending up to 20% of their welfare money on consumer leases. Consumer leases are those rent-to-buy products. So, you know, radio rentals and a few other, you know, um, rent the roo. So basically what it is is that you get the product in the first instance and then you pay it off. So it's like a reverse lay-by. The challenge with that 
and the issues around that is that people don't know exactly how much they're paying for an item. For instance, I might buy a washing machine at the store for about $400 or $700. But if I buy it under a rent-to-buy scheme and I'm paying off $30 a fortnight, over the longer term that could end up costing me more like $5,000. According to Linda, this can also end up being even higher for people who choose to pay under Centrepay which is a payment, automatic payment service through Centrelink. So the money comes out of their Centrelink benefits before it hits the bank. So it's basically, you know, a guaranteed payment to consumer lease companies, which is why they basically peddle a lot of their products um, to um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Um, and they're not telling them the full price. Um, that's what we're hearing is that it's not it's not happening. And, and in some cases, people are paying well above beyond the contract years, um, and so they're paying over and above than what they should be paying. How does that happen? Wouldn't it just automatically stop? No, because they don't complete the centre pay form for they don't actually put an end date or an end amount, um, which can be, um, as you know, can be really troublesome for people, so they continue to pay over and above. I guess if you really want to, if you really want to understand the backdrop, the context for which scams operate, you have to understand the informal economy of Aboriginal communities, and the, more generally the attitudes towards money, which are very different. Uh, it's a really different attitude towards money. So you know, one of these old fellows, you know, says, "Boy, boy, I got, I got my four thousand dollars. I'm going to split it with you." You know, so come meet me at the store. And then he's walking across the community and he walks two blocks to get to the store. I walk two blocks to get to the store. By the time he gets there, that $4,000 is gone because everybody's coming and hitting him up for a loan. And that's, he had nothing to give me by the time he got there. Like, (laughs) it was, it was, and and that's what you need to understand is that in in Aboriginal communities, particularly remote Aboriginal communities, the velocity of money is greater than in the free market economy. <laughs> Off it goes, on it goes like that. But then that money just flies and changes hands and goes everywhere. It's a really complex system. So it's like there's a, a black market operating, you know, um, where people will know the stores closed down for a few days. So some people will stockpile cigarettes and sell them for 2 or $3 each per cigarette, you know, uh, to community members when, you know, people run out. Because you know a lot of people aren't going to think ahead. And so you get a lot of enterprising people who make thousands of dollars when the store closes. This includes outsiders coming into communities to sell products at higher prices. It's always more expensive for lower quality. So the family uh, photos, even so you've got uh, people who come into the community and uh, family's important, people want photos, but they'll charge 10 times more than you'd, you'd pay in the city for a really inferior uh, product that's just on this horrible piece of plastic in a plastic frame. But people love it. It's like that's our brand. you got your dodgy car dealers as well. And there's also a lot of predatory lending. See, this is interesting because you've got an informal economy that's operating like a, a very complex adaptive system because of the velocity of the dollar, you know, um, in those informal economies. There's a lot of sort of vibrant activity going on and a lot of big flows of cash. So, of course, you're going to get sharks. 
and you've always had sharks coming in. So predatory lending has been a big problem for decades, uh, particularly around cars. And so you'll have people being contacted with offers of predatory loans. And I guess the increase in digital communication and the uptake of digital communication in communities has actually, um, I guess, increased the incidences of this because people are being... I mean, once your number's on the list, it's on the list. So people are being sent text messages and being contacted on their devices uh, with offers of predatory loans. And those types of scams also came up at the Royal Commission. This is Nathan Boyle from the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. ASIC has also taken action um, where... Uh, motor vehicle finance providers have been providing car loans that are regulated to Indigenous consumers. And um, one of those was the Chenich litigation that we ran uh, in Yarrabah, which is a community outside of Cairns. And in, uh, in that matter, we had it raised with us that consumers were being given loans that almost from the, the first time that they had to make a repayment, they were unable to afford the repayments. Um, and people had been... Uh, asked to provide um, cash deposits of two or $3,000 in order to purchase the motor vehicles. They were then often charged brokerage fees of between $550 and $990 for an introduction to the lender. Uh, and the lender was owned by the same individual that also owned the car yard. And what we seen in that case was that often people would uh, default on the, on the repayments under the loan and then that car would be repossessed from them and sold under the same terms to other people in the community. And those loans were um, being charged at an interest rate of 48%, which is the highest level interest rate. So we do see quite predatory um, practices um, in that instance. (coughs) And again, that was the matter I spoke about before where people did tell us that um, the higher the interest rate, the better, uh, as they understood it in entering them car loans. So um, we do see in the regulated space as well some predatory behaviour. And... um, What people said to ASIC when they were reporting the misconduct was that the car provider knew that there would be some money coming into the Aboriginal communities around Cairns at that time, and that's why the behaviour began. What was the nature of the money that was coming into the community at that time? Uh, Cyclone Yassi had been through uh, not long before, and a lot of people in the community received Cyclone emergency relief payments of two or $3,000 for the damage to their houses. And then there's the Aboriginal Community Benefit Fund, which markets itself as a funeral fund for Aboriginal people. We did talk about the challenges around funeral insurance and what we came up with is that some of these funeral companies are using cultural practices and cultural obligations to be able to sell their their products to to, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We know that funerals are very ceremonial and, you know, it's important for all community to come together. It's how, it's how we deal with our grief. So it's not a personal grief, it's community. And so some of these services use that to sell their products. Wow, it's just occurred to me that this is what's missing from cultural awareness training and why it hasn't been working in most organisations. It's because there's no profit motive. <laughs> People seem to learn it, learn um, Aboriginal culture really quickly if if there's a profit motive there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Hey, cuz. Yeah. People can end up paying much more than the cost of a funeral over time. If they stop paying or terminate their policy, their family receives nothing. 
And then there's the issue of how funeral insurance is sold. You know, obviously the funeral company that was that gave evidence at the Royal Commission did a lot of door-to-door selling. Um, so some of the ways that they sold that was going into community. They actually employed other Aboriginal people to go door-to-door and sell their products. So if you have someone at the door, it's not um, possible for us to slam the door in their face and say, go away, we don't want it. It's, it's around being um, courteous um, and listening to the conversation. And obviously when they're being sold these products, they're using you know, words like yes, oh, okay, and nodding their heads. So for some of these companies, they use that then to say, oh, no, they wanted the product because they said yes. But they might have been saying yes to the conversation, not to purchasing the product. Um, and we call that um, gratuitous concurrence. Something like that's, that's, that's common to all subaltern cultures pretty much all over the, the world, you know, anyone who's been colonised, you... You learn historically, you know, behaviours. It's better to just agree with these people when they say something, even if you don't understand, because, you know, um, things will go easier for you if you say yes um, to non-Aboriginal people. You know, um, so a lot of a lot of times people will just say yes. So there's that aspect, but then there's also the cultural aspect of... Um, I, I guess in, in, in our culture, there's no... Um, there's no moral imperative to tell the truth, uh, particularly to a pushy person. If someone's being pushy, you can tell them whatever you want because they're being rude. So there's no obligation to to tell the truth to them. You can tell them whatever they want to hear. Um, a lot of people misunderstand that and say things like, oh, there's no questions in Aboriginal languages, but, but there are, you know, questioning is an important part, but it's polite, you know. You just, you do quite open questions and you allow people to anchor, make clear, they they clarify things. But if someone's being pushy, um, you you can just tell them whatever, promise them whatever you want and you're under no obligation to stick to that. Uh, So there's that culturally and then I guess there's the the historical, you know, situation of people, you know, complying and agreeing just to make things go nicer because, you know, particularly want to get flogged or you know, move to another mission um, the next day or anything like that. Yes, so that is a phenomenon that's pretty common. So people might find that they've agreed to things that they had no idea that they had a contract. It makes sense to me that the gratuitous concurrence might be leading people into contracts that they didn't necessarily intend to get into. but I wonder whether that can really happen online because you're you're not being led so much. You know, you're clicking on a link mm. or you're you're responding to a scammer and you, you're handing over money, but it's more deception rather than gratuitous concurrence, right? So it I might be it, a different thing there. It depends on the nature of the interaction. So I think a romance scam would be different because there's dialogue there. And I think, a, um, you know, the other ones which send me 60 bucks and I'll send you back a million, you know, there is that high pressure, you know. uh, We don't do well with high pressure sort of sales things because tend to say yes. Not long after we spoke to Linda Edwards, the Royal Commission released its recommendations. These included steps to prevent the hawking of funeral insurance. I asked Delia Rickard how the ACCC is responding. The ACCC has had a really big focus over the last couple of years 
and working with Indigenous communities to get them um, better able to identify scams and avoid them. So our Northern Territory office had a really ingenious program going for a year or two where they got Austrack data about communities sending money overseas in a way that it looked like they were sending to scammers. They identified nine communities where this seemed to be a particular problem. And they went and had multiple visits where they, first of all, got to know people, developed a sense of trust and camaraderie, and then really started to teach people about scams. So workshops where people were making posters about scams and encouraging them to tell others in the community. We measured a year later, how much money was being lost by these communities and saw approximately a 40% reduction. Um, Now, I don't know that we can take the credit for all of that, but I think we probably can for some. And these communities are undoubtedly more scam aware. I'll make it a call from the bank. You've got to pay attention to their voice. Maybe somebody will call me, an outsider, not from the bank. I'll recognise their voice and I'll tell them, No, you're not calling me from the bank. You're lying. You're looking for my money. Okay, so what would you advise someone in a community who thinks they might be dealing with a scammer? What would you advise them to do? If you think you're dealing with a scammer, just hang up, hit delete, resist all future contact. Most scams in communities, as elsewhere in Australia, come by the phone these days. Most scammers will pretend to be an organisation that you know and trust. You might like them but know and trust, so they'll pretend to be the tax department, Centrelink, um, your energy company, a telco. And that by doing that, having that sort of personal touch over the phone having a branding that you recognise. They do all of this to try and create a sense of legitimacy and lull you into a false sense of trust um, and then they will make their demands. And it's important to realise too that scammers these days aren't just looking for your money, they're also looking for your personal information so that they can conduct identity theft in your name and they can run up all sorts of bills in your name. So no matter who contacts you out of the blue, Never give away your personal information. Never give away money. If you think that it might be a legitimate, a real contact, still just hang up. Don't use the phone number they've called on or any contact details they give you. Use the telephone book or do a Google search to find the correct number for Centrelink or the tax office and call them and tell them about the the call you've had to check whether it's real or not. Jennifer Bader from Uendamu has encountered scammers online. They tricked me by saying that I owed the taxation money when I knew I didn't. And also they asked me how I was going to pay it. She has advice for others. When people do ring up from these phone numbers, you can actually research on phone numbers of where these phone numbers are because then it tells you that it's not actually um, the department of what they say they are. Just be careful on how you do approach them. Uh, Be careful of how you do respond with them. And also make sure that you don't give out your private details like your bank account numbers or your MasterCards, or even your Visa cards, because 
MasterCards and Visa cards and debit cards that we do get from the bank are very accessible for them to hack into your account. Delia gave this advice for what to do if you encounter a romance scam. First of all, take the the, the profile picture they use and you might need someone to help you, but you can run it through a thing called Google Image and you'll see whether or not that is the person who they say they are. Um, Also do a search on some of their flowery words because you'll often find that this person has scammed hundreds of people and there are angry victims out there who can tell you all about it. But some of the telltale signs of it, if they very quickly try to move you off the place where you met, whether it's a dating site, Facebook, that's already a sign because they're trying to stop being detected. If they're very quick to profess how much they love you and they, you know, very tell you how much they love you, they send you presents, they contact you every day, but you can never, ever see them in real life because they have a reason to be overseas, that will be a sign that it's a scam. And if they ask you for money, and they will eventually, some of the common scenarios are they're often a single parent with an only child and either they or their only child has been in a medical emergency and unless you send money immediately they won't be able to have the treatment they need or they may be there on business and it's all been going terrifically well and then there's some hiccup and they just need this money for this last bit then they'll have made a fortune and they can come back and live happily ever after with you or they may not be able to access their funds because they're working in the Gulf or an aid worker in Africa and they need to just borrow some money so they can buy an air ticket to come and see you and you can finally be together again. And they may also have borrowed a little bit earlier and repaid it to build that trust. So those are very common scenarios there. In terms of other scams, some of the the big lessons are never, ever, ever give personal information or money to somebody who's contacted you out of the blue, no matter who they say they are. Never, ever give anyone remote access to your computer if they've contacted you out of the blue because shocking things can happen. Be really careful about clicking on links in emails. Um, Some of the ones we're seeing at the moment at Christmas time, we'll see um, missed parcel deliveries and looks like Australia Post or FedEx or DHL. You click on that link and it freezes your computer and they'll they'll ask for a ransom to unplug it. So don't give remote access to your computer and just be aware that it's really hard to pick scams these days. People aren't who they say they are. Um, So you just need to be constantly vigilant to say, are you really who I think you are? If you think you are being scammed, you can report it to the ACCC via scamwatch.gov.au or to the police. Step. 
We'd like to thank the elders of the regions we travel to in the creation of this podcast and during the research that underpins it. Disconnect is produced by RMIT University, led by myself, Ellie Rennie, Indigo Holcomb-James, and Tyson Yunker-Porter with producer James Milsom. Music by Baker Boy. Telstra is funding the project as an action within their Reconciliation Action Plan 2018-2021. The Indigimob program worked with us on this episode. Indigimob is a partnership between First Nations Media Australia and Telstra. First Nations Media Australia, formerly known as the Indigenous Remote Communications Association, or IRCA, is the national peak body for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander media industry. I'm just wondering if there are any Aboriginal scammers out there. I'm wondering if, you know, like the rest of the third world, uh, when we're going to cotton on to this and actually start running our own scams. Um... Well, let's let's extrapolate that. Like, in five years, there's going to be maybe there's there's going to be like a massive, you know, problem in the U.S. with all these Australian Aboriginal, you know, scammers defrauding like American citizens um, out of millions of dollars in cash with romance scams or something. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. So one thing that came up. Um, You're going to cut that, eh? Probably. <laughs> so with. Uh,